Good morning. And welcome to sermon number five in this six-part series on Ephesians. But actually, before we get into the Ephesian text, let's backtrack briefly to the passage from 1 Kings that Annabelle wrote, read this morning, King Solomon's rise to power. <clears throat> King Solomon is asked by God what gift he would like as he begins his reign. He could have asked for anything. More gold in his coffers, infinite strength against his enemies, an expanded empire. But the young, humble king simply requests an understanding mind with wisdom and a discerning mind. Able to discern between good and evil. And God blesses him and grants him that wisdom. Apparently, he managed to follow the Ephesians text before it was even written. Well, King Solomon and the Ephesians passage from this morning made me think of another king, King Lear. See, I'm a fan of Shakespeare, and Lear is a fascinating character. The reasons these texts made me think of Lear is because he's pretty much the antithesis of Solomon. Lear is a mortal king who thinks he is in complete control even in the autumn of his life. He thinks he can coerce true love and affection from his daughters by giving the best parcel of his kingdom to whoever can brown nose the best. And while God blesses Solomon with wisdom and a discerning mind, Lear has his daughters turn on him. That is, all but the daughter who truly loved him, but that he already disowned and forced to flee the country. And as his treacherous daughters plot against him, he finds himself slipping from mental and political power to senility and madness. Lear has made bad choices. He has been unwise. Denied a place to stay by his power-hungry daughters, Lear is caught in a terrible storm. And it is in this storm, both in the outside squall and the one within Lear, that he cracks. He bellows and screams against the wind. Blow! Winds! And crack your cheeks! Rage! Blow! You cataracts and hurricanes! Spout! I tax not you! You elements! With unkindness, you owe me no subscription. Then let fall your horrible pleasure. Here I stand, your slave, a poor, infirm, weak, and despised old man. He lashes out at his inability to control the elements. Then he lashes out at his conniving daughters. Then he realizes the errors of his way, the poor choices, the pomposity and narcissism that has driven him to the edge. Too late. Everything is slipping away from him, including his mind. Solomon understands the will of God, and we too should strive to be wise and know God's will, just as often, if not more so, I find myself howling against the wind with Lear, lost and overwhelmed, 
and feeling like a pathetic, impotent soul, unable to change anything, and realizing the errors of my ways too late. Don't worry, I'm not going mad. And no, I'm not that old in respect to Lear, and no, my sons aren't conspiring to overthrow me. At least not yet. But I digress. Let's get back to our passage from Ephesians this morning. It's short, so I'll read it again. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the cliff notes of our already brief Ephesians text this morning might be, one, be careful how you live, two, be wise, not foolish, and three, give thanks to God. Simple enough. Well, let's look at the first point. Be careful then how you live. Much of Ephesians, and certainly this passage, seems to be talking about how one lives out their faith. Sweet. Living out one's faith. That's like a Mennonite's wheelhouse, isn't it? I mean, we're all about that. So this passage should be relatively easy for us, shouldn't it? Except exactly how should we be careful how we live? Should we be careful what we eat? I mean, one in three children born after 2000 will develop type 2 diabetes. Should we be careful where we live? Is my neighborhood a healthy environment for my family? Is it in line with my values? Is the school system right for my child? Should I think about what I buy? Do I support local businesses? Can I afford to buy local, or is that unsound spending in the current economic climate? Am I supporting unjust and harmful multinational corporations and political regimes around the world with my wallet? Should I think about my children's future? How are the decisions of my parents' generation and now my generation affecting my children? 20 years from now, will Pennsylvania feel like Virginia due to global warming? And will our country be so weighted down with debt that there won't be the opportunities past generations have had? We have to be careful. We have to be vigilant, be aware, be overwhelmed, be overworked. There's so much to think about, so much to be aware of. Information comes to us faster and faster. Events from around the world become closer and closer. When is it all too much? When is it not enough? What is God's will in all of this? (laughs) If you think you're getting the answer to that question this morning, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. But this message, this passage, which upon my first reading, I'll admit, felt a bit flippant and blunt, gives us some clues as to how we might navigate our way through the maelstrom and point us in the right direction. At the end of the first sentence, we're told to make the most of our time because the days are evil. It's important to know our place and time. It's important to try to understand at least some of the troubling, sometimes confusing events and places of the world around us today because it does pertain to our faith. We're here. Things are happening all around us, and we need to be aware, to some degree at least. Maybe we're called to respond with acts of love. Maybe we're called to pray. But we need to know our place and time and hold these things lightly. Remembering back in chapter 1 that we were told that God has a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Okay, so we need to be careful how we live. We need to be aware of our surroundings, but not overwhelmed. 
Now, all this stuff about being wise, don't be unwise, be wise, don't be foolish. How do you do that? Well, from what I've read, because I'm not that wise, it seems that, like, it's probably worth considering that the wisdom the author refers to in it is not worldly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. Ephesians seems to put quite a lot of stock in appreciating and striving for this heavenly wisdom. Back in chapter 3, we were told to pray that you may have the power to comprehend. We need to work on our intellect. Specifically, we need to recognize and value spiritual intellect. What does that look like? Where do we see spiritual intellect in our congregation? Do we value it? How do we strive to gain more spiritual wisdom? This wisdom probably looks a little different to each of us. There are many people around this room and others in my life that come to mind when I consider my run-ins with spiritual wisdom. And it's probably worth noting, too, that some of these people would be considered moderately or exceptionally gifted. Others would be considered bright or of average intelligence. But I think these benchmarks of cerebral intelligence have very little to do with spiritual intelligence. I'd urge you to read Henry Nouwen's book, Adam, and you'll see, you'll better understand how one of the most formative people in my spiritual intelligence probably had an IQ of about 20. At least for me, spiritual intellect and cerebral intellect are apples and oranges. Who are the people throughout your life that have passed on spiritual wisdom to you? What did they teach you about faith? What did they teach you about living one's faith? I encourage you to think this about this this week, about how you pursue spiritual wisdom and how we, as a spiritual community, work to collectively increase our spiritual intellect. So we're careful how we live, doing our best to be relevant to our time and place, and we strive for spiritual wisdom, trying to discern what the will of God is in our lives. And the next part is the big payoff, right? To be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God at all times and for everything in the name of Christ. We're filled with the Spirit and we give thanks to God at all times and for everything. Hold on. At all times and for everything? See, this is where I don't have enough spiritual wisdom. I honestly can't quite wrap my brain around that statement. I will gladly and happily do this in good times, even okay times, but all times? Now, there are moments in life when I get swept away with the incredible beauty and ugliness of our world. A couple of times a year, I visit a good friend of mine in Chicago, and while he's at work during the day, I spend a significant chunk of my alone time just walking the city looking at the architecture, studying the layout of neighborhoods, watching the 20-somethings in their beamers and jags blast music as they roll by, nodding to steelworkers on break as I make my way through the steelworks plant, passing the long line of tents, garbage cans, grocery carts, and sleeping bags belonging to the homeless under I-9094, walking over a bridge on the Chicago River and seeing the beautiful skyline in the distance, while smelling the nasty, foul water below. And as I drift through the humanity, 
At times, I find myself amazed and confounded by it all. And I can be thankful for all of it. The sick and the healthy, the rich and the poor, the broken and the whole. And I give thanks to God. But that's about as close as I can come. It's a lot harder to give thanks to God always and for everything when I'm changing a particularly rank diaper or miserably failing at a teachable moment for one of my sons. It's even harder to fathom when thinking of the truly horrifying and terrible. Am I really called to give thanks when a troubled soul walks into a fitness center and kills three women? Am I really called to give thanks to God when I see people doing terrible things to each other or hurting God's creation? That's hard to stomach. Give thanks to God at all times and for everything in the name of Christ. Maybe that's easier for you to do. Maybe not. I think I can accept all things, I think, but be thankful for them. Going back to verse 10 of chapter 1. If in the fullness of time God is gathering everything up, everything from heaven and everything from earth, if the ultimate goal of all things is redemption, then I can begin to hypothetically see how one can be so thankful. But I'm honestly not there yet. But I'll keep trying. And I'll keep singing when I can, which is a lot of the time. This last section of the text on praising God resonates with my Mennonite background. Be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Being part of community is integral to each of our spiritual journeys. And singing is such a key part of how we praise God. I'm on the Pastor Congregation Relations Committee, or the PCRC. And we conduct an ongoing evaluation of the congregation by having a different handful of members and and attenders fill out a survey on a monthly basis. And one thing that comes up time and time again in these surveys is how important this time of worship is to this community. And within our worship, one of the most prized and meaningful components is singing our faith. There's something very important in all of us singing together, whether we're great singers or just belting out what we can. It is a powerful praise that cannot be found in any one voice. It can create a spiritual event light years beyond anything I could say up here. Even if I can't muster giving thanks at all times and for all things, I can come a whole lot closer when I'm surrounded by this loving community and joining you all in giving thanks. And I'd like us to do that right now. I'd like to request, if there are any, all the children to please come up front and come up, stand up here with me. And if you're listening, those in the nursery, I hope you can hear us in any case.
And if you're a visitor this morning and are new to four-part singing and are feeling a little adventurous, I invite you to move toward the front as well. We fill the space, but there's nothing like being up front for this. All right. Now, a couple of months ago, I asked you children to stand up here and look out over the sanctuary at all the people that love you. Do you remember that? Well, I'd like you to come up here again today. You can stand on either side and look out. Today, I want you to make a recording in your mind, okay? That you can take with you wherever you go. As you grow, I hope that you'll have lots of different experiences in seeing how people praise God. But this is one way that I think that we praise God very well. If you can, please stand. And let's sing Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow, number 118 in your blue books. Now, I want you to listen. Listen carefully, okay? Listen for how these people love God. Praise God from whom Thanks a lot, guys. What did you think of the singing? You guys go back to your seats. Coming up, go back to your seats. Thanks. Thank you. I hope that was as special for you as it was for me. Being part of this community 
helps me be thankful. Being part of this community gives us spiritual wisdom. Being part of this community can help us in processing what it means to live in this time and this place. It can help us live our lives more faithfully. Not that we won't still have our moments of howling defiantly against the storm, but maybe, just maybe, God sees these rantings and ravings like those of a very earnest two-year-old who feels things so strongly and is so captivated at the moment at hand and yet has no sense of the larger cosmic reality. And God is a parent who lovingly laughs and gives her son a big hug and assures him it will be all right. Everything on earth and heaven will be redeemed. In the meantime, we just need to keep trying to understand. Keep learning of God's love. Keep thinking in new ways of our spiritual wisdom. Keep feeling the joy and the hurt that comes with living. Keep loving with all our heart. Keep caring for each other and for all creation. And keep thanking God as best we can for everything.